0: Well, welcome to Summit Church, those of you who are joining us online, uh, welcome, and I'd like to take this opportunity to welcome myself here as well, I'm happy to be here, Uh, my family, I'm happy that they're here, Uh, our youngest, Nasea. she is uh, in the kids area right now, I'm sure giving them a run for their money, they're going to earn their keep today, Uh, but we're just so honored to be here, we're happy to uh, just have the opportunity to share, really to say thank you, Uh, this would be my way to just maybe express some gratitude uh, to you for the many, many years of partnership, and as Rob said, just wonderful relationship as we have served together uh, in the Five Points neighborhood, and I'm just honored to be able to have the opportunity to, to share from God's Word, and I pray that this morning we would just learn together from, from uh, this passage that we're going to share, and really, as soon as, uh, it's probably been several months now that um, Pastor Chuck, you know, extended the invitation, and, and uh, I really, at that moment, I would say knew what passage I wanted to share from, uh, and and really because I knew that this would be you know very soon after Easter and and kind of the uh, where we are on the calendar of the Christian year and and uh, where this passage falls and. And really just because of, as Rob mentioned, some of the things that are going on in our lives and, and that idea that the best is yet to come. And, and we, as we delve into uh, the road and the, the journey from Jerusalem to uh, Emmaus this morning, we're just going to maybe unpack some of the things that are going on in that vivid, vivid story of uh, the uh, journey uh, down Emmaus Road. And so... I guess the question that I, you know, uh, that, that that prompted me to share from this passage really was, you know, as we get to Easter and we we, we you know, we value the cross and we anticipate as Christians what what God is has done in revealing His Son Jesus to us, and, and and you know during the time of Lent, we're we're looking forward to Easter, and we're looking forward to celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and we can't wait to you know get to to Easter morning, and we finally we get to the Passion Week, and and we're we're just anticipating, and and then we get to to, to uh, Good Friday, and and you hear all the sayings come out, you know it's 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 Friday, but but Sunday's coming, and and all the celebration that ensues on Easter, and maybe you like to get. Dressed up and you have big family dinners and we're celebrating Easter and the kids are running around getting Easter eggs and all the celebration but what happens after Easter? Should our celebration end at Easter? I believe that the story uh, about the disciples journeying from Jerusalem to, to, to Emmaus has some things to teach us this morning. We're going to read this passage, it encompasses uh, almost 20 verses, uh, or uh, I mean, my math is terrible, but it's more than 20 verses, 13 to 35, but we're going to break it up into two parts. We'll make some observations, and then we'll finish the rest of the passage. So Luke chapter 24, uh, we'll start reading from verse 13, we'll go down to verse 24. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Here we have an account of two disciples, Cleopas and another unnamed disciple, thinking that Jesus' story had come to an end. Let's notice a few things to start. First, in verse 17, we notice that their faces were downcast. Secondly, we note that they spoke of Jesus in the past tense. Notice in verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet, powerful in word and deed. Then in verse 21, we see that they had hoped... That he was the one who would redeem Israel. In verse 24 we read that women and the other disciples saw angels at the tomb but not Jesus. We see here from this report of the women that on the very first Easter Sunday they they were at the tomb they went they see a vision of angels And they are informed that Jesus must be crucified and on the third day be raised again. So they run back. They report to the disciples, notice in verse 11, who did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense to them. So all these events are are taken more in in the sense of, of past tense, things that they had hoped would happen, but in fact, from their view, didn't happen. This story is a juxtaposition between hope and disappointment. It's an account that is full of irony and reversal, themes that are prominent throughout the gospel of Luke. In fact, I would remind you or or, or challenge you to, if you have an opportunity this week, I know in our busy, fast-paced world, it's hard to maybe carve out some additional time to do something you hadn't planned on. uh, But... If you have two hours or maybe a couple of one hour sessions or however you can break it up, but some sustained time to read through the Gospel of Luke. I firmly believe in reading the scriptures the way that they were written. The Gospel was written as a letter, as a Gospel, as an account of the life of Jesus. It takes about two hours to read from chapters 1 through 24. Read the Gospel and you'll see, you'll see what. what the events of Jesus' life were like. And you'll see this theme of reversal begin to emerge from the very first chapters of the Gospel of Luke. This story here in chapter 24 is a story that reminds us, and it, it contains reprimand, reception, and revelation, as Jesus scolds these disciples for their lack of faith. He teaches them the scriptures, and he reveals himself to them. Let's pick up the second half of our passage this morning and finish verses 25 through 35. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. Verse 30, when, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, The rest of this passage shows us that in Jesus, even death does not end the story. There's a theme that is undergirding the entirety of this passage. It's the theme of perception and response. This theme moves us from a lack of recognition to full recognition of who Jesus is and the means by which this insight is gained. We see that Jesus is invited in for a meal, and how his role moves from the Emmaus disciples' guest to their host as he is the one breaking the bread and giving it to them. These Emmaus disciples knew this person that, that, that even though they didn't know it was Jesus that at this moment, just before the, the breaking of the bread, they knew he was someone special, yet they were soon to find out just how special. A key observation of this journey from the perspective of Cleopas and his friend then, shows us that we have living disciples talking about a dead Jesus. But in reality, we have a living Jesus talking to lifeless disciples, spiritually speaking. Remember the emphatic language that is used to tell us that Jesus himself appeared to them on the road in verse 15. Then later in verses 29 through 31, It's not until they share a meal together that their eyes were fully opened and that they recognized Jesus. Church, may Jesus' resurrection remind us, just as it taught the Emmaus disciples to be living disciples, spiritually speaking, who speak to and about a living Jesus. This passage is important because it teaches us that what happened with Jesus in his life, his death, and resurrection can be understood only in light of the scriptures. Yet the scriptures themselves can only be understood in light of what has happened with Jesus. And there's something that must be said here about the Emmaus disciples' response to Jesus. You see, Cleopas' reply embodies the, the public character of the events to which he refers when he's talking about Jesus. In the past tense. It also reveals the widespread ignorance regarding their meaning. In other words, everyone in Jerusalem knew about what happened to Jesus that Friday. But not everyone grasped its significance. Verse 18, it says, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there? In these days, so there was widespread knowledge of the events of Jesus' life, but little to no understanding as to their significance. Today, we have the benefit of having the scriptures as well as 2,000 years of church history and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So let us not respond the way too many do still today possessing only a cursory knowledge of the events of Jesus' life that aligns us closer to the knowledge of the general public while remaining in the dark regarding the fullness of their meaning. Remember the reprimand. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Church, let us be quick of heart to believe Jesus' testimony. Then there was the reception as the two disciples receive the ultimate download of scriptural teaching from Jesus, from the word himself. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I mean, can you imagine the depth of insight with which Jesus would have explained the scriptures about himself to these Emmaus disciples. Can you imagine the articulation, the insight? Can you imagine the knowledge that these disciples would have received and how it would have been, how much sense it would have made like, aha, this is what the prophets meant. This is what Moses was talking about. I can't even imagine receiving an instruction from Jesus himself as to what Moses and the prophets said in the Old Testament. Then there was the revelation, the meal. Verses 29-31 through give us a little bit of a glimpse of of what happened at this meal scene in Emmaus. And it's this meal that provides a bridge for us of Jesus' table fellowship throughout the Gospel of Luke to the meals that characterized the early church in the book of Acts. These meals are occasions where Jesus ate with sinners, outcasts, invisibles, as he extended invitations to them to enter into his kingdom. And then, again, if you, if you read Luke uh, in one sitting, if you can, maybe two, you'll see this theme develop of Jesus hanging out with sinners and outcasts and people that absolutely, in terms of the culture of that day, thought that he had no business mingling with and that they had no business being with Jesus either. We see this theme begin to develop. And all these meals, as Jesus eats his way through the Gospel of Luke, all of these meals are encapsulated in the climactic meal scene in the Gospel of Luke, which is the Lord's Supper, where Jesus prepares a meal for he and his disciples on the night before he is crucified. It's interesting to note, and, and we you know, go over this every now and then as we read the, the uh, story of the Last Supper, whether it's in, you know, Luke or one of the other gospels. But let's take time to notice this morning that Jesus prepares the Passover, and indeed, he has the disciples prepare the Passover so that they can eat together. And one of them, Peter, had a place and a plate prepared for him. Even though Jesus knew that he would deny him three times before that night was over. Yet Peter still had a place and a plate prepared for him. One of the things I've always appreciated about going home to mom's house is I know there's always a plate of food waiting for me. There's always a plate. Even if I didn't make it on time, there was a place saved for me. But if I didn't make it on time, they saved a plate. And if it had cooled down, all I had to do was pop it in the microwave and I warm up my plate and I've got my food. Jesus had prepared a plate. He had prepared a place for Peter, even though Peter would deny him three times. And, of course, we know about Judas. Judas had a place prepared for him that night at the Last Supper. Even though Jesus knew that it was Judas who would betray him that very night into the hands of the soldiers, Judas still had a place prepared for him. In fact, we learn from Mark's gospel that by the end of that evening, all of the disciples would desert Jesus When he was arrested. Yet they all had a place carefully prepared for them and food prepared for them at his table. In this way, the Last Supper encapsulates all of the meals in the Gospel of Luke. This is exactly what Luke, the author of this Gospel, wants us to think about as we read about this meal at Emmaus. Even the same language is used as at the Last Supper. Flip back to chapter 22, verse 19 in the Gospel of Luke. We read that Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We come back to our passage this morning in in verse 30 of Luke chapter 24. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. We see this same sequence of words. And we see then how Luke is wanting us to to bring to mind, here in chapter 24, to recall the Last Supper in chapter 22. We then learn from the book of Acts that the uncommon fellowship of the early church was made possible by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As the early church recollected these meals of Jesus, And they were enacting them as the church now, following the procession of the Holy Spirit. This is why we cannot leave the story of the events surrounding Jesus' life incomplete. After Easter, it can be easy to stop our rejoicing at his resurrection. Now please hear me, church. In no way ever would I want to minimize the, 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 the role, the importance of the resurrection of Jesus, right? It's, it's, it's the climax. It's, it's the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. However, that is not the entirety of Jesus' story. Cleopas and the other Emmaus disciple, they thought the story of Jesus ended with his death at this point in the story. They didn't understand that as God's prophet, Jesus must endure a prophet's fate, rejection, suffering, and death. But the excitement that they must have felt when they finally discovered that Jesus had risen. Can you imagine? In their joy, they rush back to Jerusalem to report to the eleven that they had seen Jesus. And to their surprise, they share a meal with Jesus they discover that as they were doing that Jesus right after he disappeared from their presence Jesus appeared to Simon and yet all of this took place while none of them yet knew that the best was yet to come what was still required was for Jesus to ascend to his rightful place at the father's right hand so he could pray on our behalf and send the holy spirit to us to empower us to participate In this life, he has made available to us in him. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4 says it like this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Jesus has become our high priest by virtue of his ascension back to the Father now he has the authority he proves the authority that he has as our high priest to release the holy spirit to empower us to live this christian life the best was yet to come for these disciples and they didn't even know it for us today living a life in christ and in the power of the holy spirit means that the best is yet to come once again The underlying theme of this passage is perception and response. It's about hope in the midst of disappointment. You see, these disciples were despondent after Jesus' death. They were hopeless. Their Messiah was dead. They hoped that Jesus would be the one to, to, to help Israel defeat the Roman Empire so he could become their king and they could resume being the people of God as the nation of Israel. In their mind, at that time, it all ended when Jesus died on the cross. And for us, let us not treat Easter as the high point, only to find ourselves wandering aimlessly the rest of the year as the worries of life take us over. Church, there's more to the story after Easter, and it goes beyond even the resurrection to Jesus' ascension, because the best is yet to come. Here's how we know that the best is yet to come as it relates to the Emmaus story. We can think of it as lessons from Emmaus. Here's the first lesson. Jesus walks with his people even when they are walking in the wrong direction. Jesus joined them on the road as they were walking away from Jerusalem. They had left Jerusalem, the place where the people of God were, where where the disciples were. They were headed in the wrong direction because the Holy Spirit would soon be released in Jerusalem in the upper room. They were walking in the wrong direction, yet Jesus walked with them. The second lesson, Jesus is in the midst of his people even when they are unaware of his presence. These disciples were walking with the risen Jesus and they didn't even know it. He was in their midst and they were unaware of his presence. And the third lesson, Jesus works on behalf of his people even when they have lost sight of their identity in him. As he was walking with them in the wrong direction, as he was aware that they were unaware that it was him in their midst, He was already working on their behalf. They didn't yet know that the Holy Spirit would soon be released to them to help them live this new life as the church, as the body of Jesus Christ. So what is this working on our behalf? It's the full revelation of who Jesus is. The release of the Spirit that empowers us to live the Christian life. Let's remember in verses 19 through 21 that the Emmaus disciples were already talking about Jesus in the past tense. They were experiencing a kind of cognitive dissonance because it had become apparent to them that Jesus had suffered and been defeated at the hands of his enemies. And as a result, their messianic hopes for him had been shattered. And today, isn't it us? who experience a cognitive dissonance. I mean, we expect Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. That's his job, to be our savior. But then our confusion arises when when we suffer, when we struggle. While we expect Jesus to suffer and die, we often have false expectations about what our own lives as followers of Jesus are supposed to look like. We find it surprising that we, too, must carry our own cross. We feel that as followers of Jesus, we should somehow be granted exemptions from hardship and from suffering. And in the process, we begin to lose sight of who we are. Church, maybe you've arrived here this morning and you feel like you've lost sight of who you are in Christ. Maybe you look at your life and you would would spend some time in reflection and you would say, you know what? I've lost sight of who I am as a person, period. I don't know who I am anymore. As I look back at my life and I examine my faith, there was a moment in time when I was much more just, just on fire for Jesus. I was, I was much more aware of his presence in my life. I, I just I, I, I craved the things of God more than I do today. I've lost sight of who I am. And I want you to know this morning that Jesus Even if you would admit to yourself, I'm walking in the wrong direction, he's walking with you. Even if you would admit to yourself, I have been completely oblivious to his presence in my life, he is still in your midst. And if you feel like you failed to give him credit for some of the things that have happened in your life, the things you've accomplished, or you feel like there's no one, there is no one there to advocate for you, I'm here this morning to remind you that he, indeed, is working on your behalf. That's who he is. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul urges us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. Church, our first calling is to salvation in Jesus Christ. To become individuals who belong to the corporate people of God, the body of Christ. This is the purpose of Jesus revealing himself to us. Notice at the end of of our chapter here, of of chapter 24, in verses 46 and 47, in Jesus' own words, he says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Beginning at Jerusalem. The Emmaus disciples were headed the wrong way. But Jesus' sending of the Holy Spirit is proof that he has the authority as the Messiah and he wants to work in your life. He wants to show you that no matter what comes your way, the best is yet to come. Even if the future includes hardship and it does include hardship, we will all suffer at some point in our lives. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've been through enough suffering. In Jesus, suffering, rejection, rejection, Hurt, pain, brokenness, even death itself is not the end of the story. The Emmaus story establishes for us that the risen Jesus, speaking with Cleopas and his friend, the Jesus of Nazareth described by Cleopas, and the Messiah for whom the Emmaus disciples had hoped, are all one in the same person. And we can say with confidence that for the Emmaus disciples, the best was yet to come. Because although they didn't know what the future held, when Jesus had revealed himself to them, their faith, their hope was in the right place. And in fact, it wasn't a geographical place. It was in a person, Jesus Christ and what was true for them is true for us today. Remember, these disciples were walking away from Jerusalem when we first met them in the story. They were walking away from the people of God, from those who were following Jesus. But by the end of the story, they were running back to Jerusalem, and they were filled with joy. Church, you may have showing up this morning and you feel like I I'm headed in the wrong direction my life is in shambles you may have been unaware of Jesus being in your midst you may even have shown up this morning and you've lost sight of your identity in him you're not who you used to be in Jesus Maybe you feel like you've, if you're really being honest, you've abandoned your faith in Him completely. Maybe you're, you're living through the things that you know you're supposed to do because it's maybe a, a cultural fit, it's a morality thing, whatever it is, but you, you, you truly would, would say, my heart is not tethered to Him like it used to be. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've never had the opportunity to, to align yourself with Jesus Christ, to, to indeed tether your heart to Jesus and you want to gain, for the first time, an identity in Him. If you will simply place your hope in the resurrected Messiah, Jesus Christ, and believe in the ascension that that He is our High Priest and in this very moment is interceding for you, cheering you on, being your advocate, believing in you, reassuring you that He has sent you His Holy Spirit. Because, church, if we are being honest with ourselves, the things that Jesus has asked of us, the things that He in fact requires of us to be His disciples, if we would say, I identify with Jesus, let me tell you, church, you cannot do it on your own. The things that Jesus is asking you to do, you cannot do. So are we at a loss? No, of course not. We have an advocate. We have the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live this Christian life because we cannot muster up enough self-discipline to live the Christian life. We cannot conjure up enough willpower to live a Christian life and a moral life. We cannot do it on our own. It's only through the power of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as God the Father has revealed Himself to us. And if we will loo- uh, be, uh, choose to live this life, we too will be able to declare with confidence no matter what comes my way, no matter what this world holds, no matter the twists and turns, the left turns, the right turns, no matter the periods in my life, the seasons of life of waiting, of feeling like I can't hear from God, no matter what comes my way, I know that in Jesus, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I'm thankful for the cross. You know, again, as I mentioned as soon as the invitation was extended to me to be, to have the privilege of sharing this morning, I knew I wanted to share this passage and little did I know that it would be a morning that we would have the opportunity to, to, to share in in communion together as a body. And of course, knowing that I wanted to share this story and, and try to tie it into what had happened uh, with the Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, I find that it was a perfect segue into this moment. And so as we will together just prepare to take communion together, I want to kind of just turn our attention to maybe going back from our chapter here in Luke chapter 24 to chapter 22 in the Last Supper. Now, I like to share about, about the Last Supper from 1 from Corinthians, uh, but, but I also love to share it from the Gospel of Luke because we can remember that Especially in Luke's Gospel, the Last Supper is that, that climactic meal, that climactic meal scene that encompasses, that incorporates, that encapsulates all the other meal scenes in the Gospel of Luke. And indeed, these were meals. These were meals. These were feasts, agape feasts, where there was a bounty of food, there was a bounty of fellowship. And even in Acts, we see that the early church continued this tradition of, of gathering around meals, and they, they, they expected the presence of the risen Jesus to continue to be with them. Church, this is what communion is all about. So although this morning we may have the token of the, of the cup and, 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 and of the, uh, of the bread and, and, and these elements, let us remember that indeed it was a, a full meal, an agape feast, and like the early church, may we go from here and may we be encouraged to share tables with strangers. To embrace the uncomfortability of sharing a meal with someone we may not know or with someone who lives a lifestyle that is drastically different than our own. That's the way of Jesus. And what I'd like to do is just really invite you to reflect as I read the account of the Last Supper from Luke's Gospel and when we get to the part of of the cup and when we get to the part of the bread or any time in this passage as I'm reading it, just in your own reflection partake of the elements, okay? I'm going to read from Luke 22 in the Last Supper. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, Jesus gave thanks, and he said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, it strikes me that for those of us who would say, I I choose to identify with Jesus, I choose to be called Christian, someone who has made Jesus the Lord of my life, understanding that I will not be perfect from here on out, but that it will be my endeavor to deny myself for the sake of following the path of Jesus Christ. And these disciples, and they didn't know that they were about to desert him that night. They didn't know that he really indeed would be hung on a cross the next day. They didn't know that there would be this thing called the release of the Holy Spirit of of Pentecost in the book of Acts. But they took the cup. They drank the cup of Jesus. They identified with Jesus. And when we identify with Jesus, we are drinking from his cup. It's easy to identify with Jesus in his victory. It's easy to look forward to Easter and, and rejoice at his resurrection to drink that cup of the resurrection, to drink that cup of of victory, to drink the cup of Jesus's victories and and identifying with those. and, And when things are going well in our life, we enjoy drinking that cup. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we also remember that when we drink the cup of Jesus, when we participate in this meal, we're drinking the cup that he drank, which was to suffer and die which was a life of complete surrender, total obedience to God the Father. Church, this is the cup we drink of when we partake of communion. This is the life we choose as Christians, total surrender to God. And as the early church continued this tradition, and as we do even today, we expect the presence of the risen Jesus to be with us. Aren't you glad this morning that we can experience the presence of Jesus in our lives? That we know that when we make a mistake, that's not the end of the story. Even if we have a life that is filled with hardship and loss, the story doesn't end there. Even in death itself, that's not the end in Jesus. We look forward to eternal life. I wanna finish up with just a word of prayer this morning. And as I pray, I just want to invite you that if this is, if this is an opportunity for you, you say, I, I want to identify with Jesus. I've never identified with him before. I've, I've been running or, or I, I've never been a Christian. I've never followed Jesus. Then this is your moment. This is your day. Or if you say, I've, I used to be someone that I'm not today. I don't even know who I am anymore. It's time to get back on track. We look at it very literally like this, that the Emmaus disciples repented. They were going the wrong way. And to repent means to turn and go back the right way. They went back to Jerusalem. They repented and they went back in the right direction. This is your opportunity this morning to turn back in the right direction. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord we thank you so much for who you are. You are the risen Jesus. You are the savior of the world. You are the king of kings. We celebrate your death because you didn't stay dead. You rose again. And Lord God, for those 40 days after your resurrection, you showed yourself to the apostles. You showed yourself to those followers of you who at one point may have been downcast, but you revealed yourself to them. And they saw you, they saw you ascend back into heaven. And as you assured them, you assure us today, you send us the Holy Spirit who is our advocate who proceeds from the Father, who, who indeed is, is at our back. He, he's, he's the wind that our sails, and He empowers us to live this Christian life. Jesus, that gets me excited, because I know how, fall, how short I fall of your glory. Lord, we identify with you this morning. We acknowledge that you walk with us even when we're walking in the wrong direction you're in our midst even when we fail to be aware that you are with us and when we doubt even still lord you are working on our behalf we cling to these to these truths this morning in the name of jesus amen church god bless you this morning we'll uh, be moving into a time of response it has been my true just honor and privilege to not only be recipients as partners with you Uh, but to share the word of God amongst you this morning and to learn from the word of God. God bless you. Thank you.